Actually, one of the things might be the battery's low. So if that happens, I can just go ahead and keep speaking. And I'm pretty loud. I'll get louder if the mic goes off. Does that sound good? Is that a plan for everyone? Um, yeah, as I said, uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. And get to continue us on in this uh, series we're in. And the series that we're in is Why Do We Blank? And, and I love this series because we, we during the pandemic, there was uh, small portions of time that we got to interact or even present something to this congregation. And because it was such a small period of time when we did that, uh, we wanted to be very intentional with the elements and the things that we did in those times. And, and, and when we did that, we thought about the why we were doing the things that we were doing. And what the series is doing is saying, hey, there's an importance, uh, an intentional piece that we have when we do the things we do. Because the, the reality is when we do something over and over, it can kind of become rhythm, right? And it could be just something that we do because we do it. So we want to talk about the intentionality of these places that we space our time for. And last week we heard from Pastor Melody and she told us about prayer. And one of the things that she did that I really appreciated and I loved was the fact that she didn't give us the systematic message on prayer, right? A plus B equals C. Like this is how you pray, this is how it works. Because every time I've heard that in my life, when someone has done that, I've put A and then I plused B and I got like 13 or tortoise. Like, I don't know, I'm just messing it up. And I feel like, am I dumb? I like went to school for this too. Like how am I messing this up? There we go. I have another one as backup, just in case I mess that one up too. Good. Um, awesome. So uh, what I realized is um, with prayer like that, instead of talking about the system and this is how you do it and this is the way, she talked about the why. Where does it come from? And one of the things that she said that really resonated with me, and if I'm honest, I think it might do that for the rest of my life, was this concept that when we pray, what we do is we call upon the ultimate source of power, of love, of mercy, of grace, of compassion. And, and that's fun to say, and most people in this room would agree with that. But if we really contemplated that every time we entered into prayer, I feel like it would change things for us. And that's part of the why. One of the other whys is she said um, that when you just don't have words, what do we do, right? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I think last week the, the name of Jesus was proclaimed more in that service than I've ever heard in any service of my life. It was awesome. Not that it's an incantation and that makes it better, but it was still really cool. But, but you say that, and one of the things that we get do and one of the things we get the honor of doing is that we can pray for people who don't have words, that we can use our words for them and intercede. And there's a tangible response we can have to what God did. Grant gave us the platform for this, uh, this series that we're going through, kind of a context and a lens. And that lens was that everything that we're going to talk about is based off of one singular thing, and that's a response to God. And the word we use for that is worship. That everything that we do, everything that we're talking about is a form of worship. And he talked about what it means to sing, which we usually equate with worship. But what we do is we get to talk about all these different avenues of worship. And today we're going to talk about preaching and teaching and speaking. And for the sake of simplicity, I'm just going to use the word preach. I'm not making a huge declaration over preach, teach, speak. I'm just using it for simplicity's sake. I'm going to use the word preach rather than saying all of it. But today we're talking about what it means to carve out the time that we carve out to hear someone talk and to listen. 
A lot of you guys sacrifice things to be here. You sacrifice sleeping in, time you could be doing things in football season, watching football games. You sacrifice these things. And a large portion of what you're doing when you're here is this part of it. So I would like you to do something. If you wouldn't mind, uh, there's connection cards in front of you. It's the first card you'll see. If you don't mind grabbing that and flipping it over to the blank side. And on the blank side of that card, what you're going to write is, I want you to write, what do you expect from preaching? Now, some of you already have it written down because you're like, I know this, Josh, and stuff. And some of you are like, I don't know. Like, you're going to have time to think about it and write it down. I'm going to read through the passage. You can do it then. But I really want you, and just a sentence. I don't need a dissertation or, like, just real quick, maybe a word. Um, What you expect from preaching. And the reason I'm asking you to do that is you should have expectation. Now, there's a piece of this that's dangerous. I'm telling you to write your expectation, and then I'm going to be up here, and you're going to be like, that didn't match, Josh. It's right here, and that could be dangerous. But uh, I want you to write that because I think that there is value in knowing what we do and why we do it, but there's also value in knowing what you expect because it's not just about the professionals telling you what to think, but it's about you pursuing Jesus and this being a part of it. So we're going to be in Ephesians. We're going to be in uh, verse 11 of chapter 4. And this is the passage we're going to be sitting in through most of the morning. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind and teaching by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body is joined together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each does its part. There's a lot of passages, a lot of passages you can go to that talks about teaching and hearing from God's word, and it'd be easy to bounce around to a lot of them and get pieces and nuggets and good wisdom from those things. But as I read through all of those, I felt like this one really hits the point. I asked you, and I hope you've done it already, is write down what you expect. Now, you don't have to write this next part down because it might take too much room, but think about it, contemplate it. Why do you expect that? Now, here's an example. Maybe you wrote down, when I come and I hear preaching, I expect to hear the word of God. Right? That's a good one. Some of you are like, dang, I should have wrote that down. No, no, there's no right or wrong answer. This is your answer. Um, I expect to hear the word of God. But here's the question. Why? And not a big overarching why, not a doctrinal why, but for you, what does that fill in your life? Why is that valuable? Why are you sacrificing for that? And I want you to think and contemplate that as we go through. Verse 11 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. First, we have these things that are created by Christ. And as I was reading one of the commentaries, really separated it out really well. They said that Christ created offices and ministries, not officers and ministers. And this is important because the latter is kind of how we think. And the latter could have its faults and its pitfalls. Because if it's officers and ministers, then every church should have 
these people on staff. And if you don't, you're kind of messing it up, right? Like, you need your prophet. You need your apostle. You need your evangelist, right? And, and if it was like that, then we could easily be like, oh, I really love going to this church. There's this evangelist there, and he just gets after it, and that kind of makes me uncomfortable. So I'm really glad that I'm part of a church that takes care of that, right? Or, you know, I just don't deal with people. They go through a lot. I'm not good at that. I'm really glad we have Grant. He's the pastor. He can take care of all the people issues, and we're going to be good. And so there's a little bit of a kind of an offloading of responsibility or maybe even an overloading of what's going on. But when we view it as offices and of ministries, then it makes it more fluid. It makes it more multiple in how those things play out and how those things get fulfilled. And I believe that that's a better understanding of what this is. So as we go through this, I want to give us some context because, again, sometimes we assume what these words mean. So really quickly, as we go through, the first thing it says is apostles. And what apostle is, is one, a messenger of God, one who's sent by God. Originally, it was the disciples. And the disciples, soon as Jesus ascended, turned into apostles, right? They were sent by God. And then Barnabas added on to that. And then you have Paul. And then it was kind of like this office that existed and it grew in the early church, as we see. And some of this is background. Just stick with me. It's going to have relevance later. But um, we have the apostles, and the next thing is prophets. And prophets, sometimes I think we mistake for oracles, right? Or fortune tellers. Like a prophet is one who tells us the future. And that was a part of what a prophet did. But the definition of a prophet is one to whom and from whom God speaks. And that changes the view. That opens the door to different participation than just someone who tells the future, maybe. And these are things for the church the Christian church as it's growing that Christ gave. And the next one's evangelist. And this one's polarizing. When I say evangelist, some of you are like, sweet, let's go. I got my tracks. I'm ready. Like, let's get out there and do something. And then some of you are like thinking the people with the signs and the picketing. You're like, ah, makes, I don't like that. That makes me uncomfortable. And it's polarizing. But what evangelist is, is it's one who presents or proclaims good news. And by the good news, I mean the gospel. And by the, that, let us be very, very clear, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what an evangelist is. And one of the things that I think we do as a church sometimes is we kind of diminish it a little bit as the thing that happens at the beginning of your faith walk. That the gospel is really cool when you come to know Jesus. And then you know you move forward. Jesus is saying that this is something we need to put in front of our eyes over and over and over, and it's the gospel. And then we have pastors. This word pastor uh, directly translates into the word shepherd. And what does a shepherd do? It tends to, it protects, it feeds the flock. Now, there's one word at the end of this definition that I wasn't expecting to see, and I saw, and I think it's really valuable, and we'll talk about it later. And the very last word it has in the definition is it cherishes the flock. And the last one's teacher. And teacher, this word is almost exclusively used of Jesus in the New Testament. Every time it's used, it's, it's in reference to Jesus because Jesus met and taught with his disciples. He was rabbi. He was teacher. He was master. So this is something that Jesus is saying, yes, when I was here, I played this role, but this role has to move forward. So we start to get into the practical of why do we preach. In verse 12, it tells us why. It says to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. First of all, it says equip his people. That's also translated as equip the saints. 
And some of you are like, okay, I can be a person of God, but not Saint Josh. Like, that's a little bit too far, right? And, and the pro- one of the things, the reason Paul does that is because when, when in reference to being a, a person of God, and you're thinking, no, no, I'm a sinner. And I never correct someone when they say they're a sinner because there's this beautiful, humble nature that comes from even being willing to say that that I think is really honorable to be able to be in a presence of someone willing to express that. But when God looks at you, he doesn't see sinner. He sees Jesus. When God looks at you, he doesn't see broken in all the ways that you mess up. He sees a redeemed uh, image bearer of himself. So to equip the saints for what purpose? For works of ministry. What I love is it just jumps into the deep end of movement and action, right? It's not like, okay, you know Jesus, and then, you know, you go through a member class and clarify what you're doing with Grant, and then, you know, you get trained up, and then you become a lay leader, and then you become an actual leader, and you go to a Bible college, and then you become a minister and do, right? Like, that's the progression we think sometimes. But it's like, no, you follow Jesus, and you start doing stuff, and it's immediate. But there's a reason for that action, and what I love is Paul treats us like that annoying kid that keeps asking why. And, and answering the question, he's like, I got you. I'll answer all these questions because you're like, why? Um, works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And this is where it gets tangible. And to me, this is where it gets exciting. So the body of Christ may be built up. So what this is, is if you're an introvert, you don't have to raise your hand. You want it because you're an introvert. Um, if you're an introvert and you, uh, are, uh, and you are a prayer warrior, like you just really feel like a person who loves to pray, Going, you seeing someone kind of going through something, you're like, I want to pray for you, but it's really awkward to like talk to another, you know, like it's, you're hesitant, but say you're bold and you do that one day and you say, okay, I'm going to go to this person. I know them a little bit. I'm going to pray for them because they seem down and that person shares their story with you and they, and they connect with you and they offload some of this, right? Go back to Galatians 6 two. They offload some of that burden. And one of the things that they were wrestling with is they had this desire to do something, but they felt less than or they felt broken or they felt too dirty to do this thing. And all of a sudden, through this conversation, they're like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check out uh, coffee in the courtyard. I'm going to serve in, uh, I'm going to check out, maybe not serve, maybe I'll just come check it out, one of the distributions. I've always felt like I couldn't or I shouldn't or I had to get some stuff figured out. And do you see how this works? Like, you're leaning into a gift that God has given you to do, and what it does is it frees someone else to do the same, and this is building up of the body. And this is one of the reasons why we preach, because we believe that there's movement and there's power that comes from this when we move forward. But there's also an angle. In verse 13, it says, until we reach unity in faith. Now, this is really, really important, maybe the most important thing. Unity in faith. Not unity in cultural or social beliefs, not unity in political beliefs or or how you parent or what you do or the ways that you interact, not even unity in doctrine or, or what you think or how you interpret what's written in here, but unity in faith. And what is faith? Scripture says that we're saved by grace through faith, not by work so that no one can boast. That faith that we are saved by isn't just all these things, it is the thing it is what the evangelist loves to talk about, right? It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That this is what we have unity in. What Jesus did. That we can grow and that we can have unity in faith. And another thing it says is unity in the knowledge of the Son of God. Now see, I believe that this word, I believe that the Bible is transformative. 
It's in our mission statement, the very first thing to be transformed. I believe it's transformative. I don't think that this is a, 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 a collection of history books that we learn and we can get tested and quizzed on later. I don't view it as a roadmap to our life. This isn't seven steps to anything. This is the living word of God. This is this same passage 900 years ago, somewhere in the Middle East, there was some pastor that read this to his congregation of people and it ministered to them where they were in the time that they were with the people they were interacting. How does that make sense? All the way on the other side of the world in a different time, it makes sense because it's the living word of God. And it's focused on the central thing of our faith. John says, in the beginning of John, it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was God, and the word was with God. The word that it talks about there is talking about Jesus. And if we go and rewind all the way back to Genesis, then in Genesis, how did things come to be? God said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let there be expanses in the water and land showed. That God's word is creative. It makes something new. And so we just spent two years going through the shortest gospel. Man, imagine if we went through a longer one. And um, we spent two years going through the gospel of Mark because we believe that when we see the life of Jesus, when we pursue what Jesus did and what he was about, that it's transformative. Because we see his life, we see the very mouthpiece of God in flesh and what he's doing, and we can learn things from that. And we go to the end of his ministry, and with his last breath, some words were spoken, and those words were, it is finished. And again, something was created. In the Gospel of Matthew, it says the curtain was torn in half from top to bottom, that God was unleashed on this world. He wasn't bound by the Holy of Holies anymore. The kingdom of God now exists. That that is a reality that came from those last words. And Jesus promised something that was even bigger than that. He said, one greater than I is coming. Right? And that one greater than I is the Spirit of God. And we believe, and we talk about this in our teaching team and staff, we believe that it takes time and effort, and we need to steward the responsibility of looking through this when we get an opportunity to talk to you guys. And we believe that the Spirit's working in us as we do that. But we also have to believe and trust that the Spirit's working in you guys as he meets you where you are. Not because we're good at something, not because we're smarter at something, but because that's how God works and this is living word. Verse 14 says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful schemes. So he's giving clarity. He's saying, if we have this, then we will be able to do something, right? If, if we have these offices and these ministries that are pastoral, that are prophets, that are all these things for works of service, for building each other up, then we'll be able to do this thing. And I forgot where I heard it from. I think it was Grant at first. But there's this thing, uh, this reality that we experience when we're pursuing Jesus that we're kind of in the middle, that, that we're a little bit too gracious and merciful and not willing to draw a line in the sand for Christians. They prefer more clarity. But we're a little bit too holy and divisive and religious for the rest of the world. And we're like standing in this gap when we're pursuing Jesus. And it's a tough place to be, not because you're out in the middle of no man's land, but because both other groups are not satisfied that someone can do that. 
and they're very upset, and they want you on their side. And so they're pulling your attention, and we see that in here. And so we need that firm foundation because the most valuable thing in all the world, more valuable than gold or Bitcoin or whatever, is your attention. People spend millions and millions of dollars on milliseconds of your time. If you've ever scrolled through Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or anything like that, there are very smart people that are watching when you even slow down your scroll, let alone pause or stop, and creating algorithms to you specifically to see if they can do that more so they can have more of your attention. And they're doing that because they know that they can monetize you and your attention is valuable to them. And they know if they get to speak a narrative into your life, then they get to create that narrative and make you rely on them. And that's the reality of the world we live in. So it's not just beneficial, but it's a necessity that we meet and we center on what is true and what God has for us. It's really easy to be like, if I said, what's the gospel? A lot of you guys could write it down right away. But man, we need that reminder we need to hear it, we need to feel it, we need to experience it. For what it says in verse 15, instead, speaking truth in love. The church has been guilty of stopping at these first two words for a long portion of its history, speaking truth. That I'm going to stand on truth, that this is the hill I'm going to die on, that this is the line that I'm going to draw in the sand. And if I ask you guys on that same piece of paper, make sure you kind of keep it with you. I'm going to ask one more thing, not this. If I ask you to write the definition of truth on that piece of paper, my guess is your answers would be as variant as there are people in this room. Like, really, it would. So the question comes, the simple question comes, which one do we stand on? Which one are we willing to draw the line in the sand? Which one are we willing to say, this is truth, this truth is worth dividing this relationship or severing this person or this truth is worth splitting this church? Now, let me be very clear. I'm not saying truth is relative and it doesn't exist. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying truth, void of love, can be very, very dangerous. Very dangerous. The other day, we were out, and we were having dinner, and my five-year-old son was playing around and stuff, as he does, and when he gets his food, I take all of his food from him because I want to portion it correctly, so I remove all the fries, I leave all the chicken and fruit, and then I give him fries as rewards for him eating the other food. That's how I do it, so he eats not just french fries, so that's a thing I do. So I, I was doing that, and we were doing that, and I was like, all right, bud, you can't have any fries until I give them to you, and, you, you know, and he's playing around. And so I told him to calm down a couple times. And so I'm talking, and out of the corner of my eye, I see his little hand coming this way towards the fries, reaching for it. And I, like, look down real quick like that, and it, like, freaks him out. So he pulls his hand back, and he hits my glass, spills my entire drink on my lap, falls on the ground, shatters. One of those big in the store, everyone, like, starts clapping. They didn't, luckily. But, like, shatters just everywhere. Terrible situation. And instantly, his response was to bury his head in my side, and he started crying. Now, there's a plethora of reasons that he does that, right? Out of shame, guilt, fear, confusion, all these things, like visceral response in that moment. Now, me, as his dad, who's obligated to share truth with him, could really parse it out, right? Hey, bud, I told you to calm down. You didn't calm down. You reached for something you shouldn't have. You knocked over my drink, and now it broke it, which broke someone else's property, made someone else clean something up, and you needed to, you know, and this is what happened because you weren't listening and obeying. Now, that's truth, right? None of that was not truth. That's me being honest. 
But what he needed to hear, the reason that he was crying wasn't because he didn't know if what he did was right or wrong or the effects. See, because my response was, in trying to be a good dad, was like, hey, it's okay, buddy. It was an accident. It's okay. And I was like, oh, killing it as a dad right now, right? Like, I didn't freak out. Like, it's okay. But as I sat there, this whole thing is like two minutes long, just so you know. As I sat there for a second, I realized that wasn't the right response. Because he didn't need to know whether it was okay. He needed to know if he was okay. He needed to know if we were okay. So let's take it out of this example. It's easy to use a five-year-old. Let's put it to all the adults that are in this room. What portion of our life, wait, what portion of our faith is us pursuing and doing the right actions to make sure we're doing the right things and what we're doing is okay? When really deep inside of us and in our heart, what's screaming out isn't, is what I'm doing right? It's, am I okay? It's, if we're honest, it's, are we okay? See, because this word, this scripture that we speak from when we teach and when we preach, when we do that, I could take this and it can be very piercing and there's enough in here for each of you to feel terrible about an action that you did or something that you fell short or ways that you didn't make it. And if we focused on the actions, then that's how we will walk away from it. But what this word speaks to is something way more important than our action. It speaks to our heart and our position before God, and what that means for us. And so we speak truth in love. Jesus made it very clear when he was asked what the most important commandments were. He said, love God and love others. Now that doesn't mean you just lie to them and never tell them truth, right? I had a conversation with Reed after he calmed down later, like, hey, but this is kind of how it went down. It's important to still be truthful. But when we prioritize actions over people, we're getting it wrong. And it's harder to prioritize people. But that's what we're called to. That we will grow and become in every respect mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. There's this aspect of growth. I used to have on my previous computer, there was a digital sticky note, which is weird. But on the sticky note, it said uh, that there's no growth without tension. When you're working out, when you're riding a bike, when you're, you know, learning all these things, like there's no growth without tension. And so one of the top things when I'm preparing for a sermon on my notes, one of the top things I write on my page is what is the tension? Because I believe that one of the purposes of us talking is it should create tension. But let me clarify, that tension shows itself in two main ways. One is conviction. The other is affirmation. And conviction isn't shaming you and causing you to feel guilty. That'll make you pull away. But what conviction is, is it's God drawing you to himself. Because when God draws you to himself, he's pulling you out of the bondage and the slavery and the addiction that you're experiencing because he wants more for you, not just because that's not a good look. But then there's affirmation, and affirmation is this feeling where you're like, I do like to pray, but I'm not very like, eloquent and all these things, and God's like, no, go for it. You know how you have that feeling? Like, go. My hope is you come sometimes when you hear from Melody or Grant that you get encouraged, and, and, and you're like, oh, man. Like, God riles you up and stirs you, and you're like, I never want to do that, but I feel like I should. 
And, and for all of my affirmers out there, for those of you that that's your gifting, come on. Like, can I just encourage you? If there's anything you learn, just go for it. Be bold, because we need it, man. This world is just trying to tear us all apart. So the affirmers, just know, go with God, do it. Affirm, affirm what God's doing in people's life. This last verse, and this is how we're closing. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. If I look out here and look at this group of people, I could create a list. And I don't know if this list has an end, if I'm honest, and that list is of reasons that you guys shouldn't be in this room together, whether it's views, culture, opinions, posts on web pages, whatever it is, like just a list of reasons that this, you guys should not be keeping each other's company. And you're like, Josh, okay, if there's a, there's a con list, there got to be a pro list, you know, tell us from God's word, like, what's the list of things that kind of combats that? And there is a list, but it has one thing on it. And it's said in this, from him, Jesus, who the whole body is joined together by every supporting ligament. That the reason we're united is not because we all think the same or we all do the same or we all come from the same place, but it's because the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus transcends everything. And when we believe that, when we lean into that, when we push into that, we see great value in being around people who are different than us. We view it as a learning experience and not a combative experience. And this is what we think the scripture points us to over and over. And when we teach, we believe that we're placed with that tension of living in a way that's different. I was challenged by the staff as we talk in teaching team and in staff and just in the office. I was challenged, why do you preach? Not why do we preach, but why do I personally? And I gave an answer, and it was probably terrible because I'm not good at answers in the moment. I got to think more. Um, but as I sat with it and I thought about it through this week, I went back to verse 13 over and over. And it says, until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The reason that I, that I preach, because there's nothing that causes me more anxiety, nothing that makes me more nervous, nothing that, and I've said this, nothing that pokes at my insecurities and in all the ways that I fall short more than weeks that I preach. So why do I do it? Because I truly believe with all my heart that this is possible. Not in the future, not in some time in the distant, but now that this is happening. That we can be united in faith. That we can grow to a mature representation of Jesus. I believe not the church as a whole, the big C church, but New Song Church can be Jesus to San Dimas. It can have impact in the lives of the people that we come in contact as a, as, a, as a church. That you guys individually can be Jesus to each other. You can free each other to be stronger and pursue your faith in a way that you've never have before. And that we allow ourselves to feel the tension because of that. I don't want to speak, and I was really scared, not scared, I was intimidated to do this one. Because there's three of us that speak consistently. And I was afraid to speak for other people on why we speak. But if you let me speak for you in this sense, I believe this is true. At the beginning, I said that a pastor protects and feeds and guards and takes care of its flock, right? But there's a word at the end of that, and that word was 
that they cherish. And I can speak for Grant and Melody, not as ministers, but as one who participate in this ministry that Jesus said is important. That we cherish you guys. We don't cherish the idea of a church, not even like the big new song, but we cherish you guys individually. We see it as an honor to pray for you, to see you, to know you, to walk through life with you, to play a part in your development. We love that we get to do that. And that's what a church is about. And the experience that we feel when we get to do that is something I want for every person sitting in this room and that we can have it. So we're going to go into a time of communion now. And as we enter into this time of communion, we're doing two things. The first thing that we are doing, and yeah, you can get the, the cup ready. This is where you hear all the openings. Um, we're doing two things. The first thing that we're doing is we're remembering. Oh, yes, if you want to raise your hand, we have some extras that will be walking around to you. They will get to you. We're doing two things. One of the things is we're remembering, as the evangelists say, the gospel. We're remembering what Jesus did and what that means for us in his death, burial, and resurrection. But we're also doing another thing. The other thing is we're making a proclamation. A proclamation of the unity that we have in this church with these people who are sitting by us in the body of Christ, in this mission that he allows us to play a part in. I'm still completely in awe of the fact that we can play a part in the kingdom work that he has for us. So we're going to take this, and after we take this, um, we're going to have a couple of songs that we're uh, singing together. The last thing I want you to write on that piece of paper during those songs is this. How is God stirring you up? If you would write on that bottom of the piece of paper, what tension are you feeling? Is God trying to pull you out of something? Is God trying to push you towards something? Because I believe that every single one of us is getting pulled or pushed in some direction. Take some time to think and pray and sing and write that down. And if you wouldn't mind flipping it over you can put your name and email. You can give it to me, Melody, Grant. You can put it in the offering boxes in the back after service. I would love to see those, to pray over those, to know all the different ways God's working. So if you wouldn't mind doing that at some point, that would be awesome. Jesus sat with his disciples during Passover, and he took the bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. Let's take the bread. And then after they sat and had a meal together, he took the cup and he said, this cup is my blood poured out. It's the new covenant for you. Let's take this cup together. To close us, I'd like to read this blessing. 
in Colossians 3.16. It says, and if you would just receive this, it says, let the word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through the psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. We're all called to this. The reason we preach is we believe it stirs us up into something more. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this group of people, for a group of people that is brought together because of what you've done. I pray as we take joy in this life that you have blessed us with, that you would remind us of so much more that you have. God, I think of the people in this room who are aching, who are carrying so much weight, they feel like they're going to collapse, even at the sign of someone asking them how they're doing. That they would know that they're not alone. That you would move someone to catch them and be there with them. Lord, those that you are provoking to, to move and to do something or to participate, that you would just embolden them and their desire to serve you. Lord, as we move forward in our lives with you, that we might be continually placed in the tension of you pushing us and pulling us to something that is so much more beautiful. We thank you that none of this is possible outside of your grace and your death, burial, and resurrection. We give these things to you in your name. Amen.